morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, today is promotion Sunday, so we've got some new uh, five-year-olds, kindergarten kids going to children's. We've got uh, some, I think, is it third grade? Is that, yeah, third grade going upstairs, so going in third grade. So glad to see that. A lot of exciting things. My name is Jacob. I am a deacon here at Living Hope, and I am so thankful uh, that I get to, to fill in this morning. I um, feel so blessed to be able to have this opportunity. If you are a guest with us, uh, we have these cards there in the chairs, and you can fill it out and just let us know a little bit about yourself. Also, if anyone has um, a prayer need or anything that you'd like us to be praying about, you can fill it out in the back of the card. Later on in the service, we will pass some offering plates, and you can put that in. This week, this sermon has been challenging for me. As I was trying to uh, read through it, as we're going to see, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of bad theology that is built from this passage. There's a lot of bad and poor application that is built from this passage. And I just, every time I would sit down, I would feel so overwhelmed by the, the, what, everything in the passage. And yesterday, um, I'm still, and, and normally, um, working on preaching, I'm at Saturday, I'm not at a point that I don't feel a little comfortable or confident what I'm speaking on, but I, I was still trying to work on it and like, Lord, I need your direction and know what to talk about. And, um, but at the same time, my wife needed to take the girls to get to some back to school stuff. And my son was taking a nap and I said, well, I'll work on it during nap. Well, you know what happened, right? Oh yeah, nap didn't really happen that much, and then he's up, and and so then he wants a snack, and then I realize, oh, I need to start dinner, so I go and and I get ready to start dinner, and I get the Instapot out, and I get the the bowl of the Instapot, and I sit on the stove, and then he spills water on himself, and and he's upset because he didn't nap, and so then I'm going, I'm like, oh, let me dry him off, and and then I'm like, oh, I gotta make that rice, and and I run back in the kitchen, and and I get the rice, and and I pour it in the Instapot, and I get the water, and I pour it in the Instapot, and I look on the stove, and there's the bowl that's supposed to be in the Instapot, that all that's supposed to go in. So the, the Instapot is now making noises that I've never heard before. And I unplug it. And I was like, you know what? Listen, listen. Okay, I, I will, I'll just go and I'll make the rice on the stove. So I pour it on the stove and I'm like, okay, I need to get back to work on my sermon. You know, sounds okay, okay. And, and what happens? The rice burns, right? <laughs> and then I come in the kitchen and I, full transparency, I go, come on, God. And in the moment, I thought, you know what? I need to call my wife. I need to check in to make sure things aren't going crazy for her too, right? And I just need to hear her voice right now. So I call her and I say, hey, how's it? Oh, it's going good. We're, we're getting ready to check out and come on. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So I start breathing because someone else is coming into my craziness. And then after I go phone, I'm like, okay, I, I can't do everything. I can do one thing. So let me do the one. Let me just start dinner. So I start dinner and as I'm cooking dinner, the Lord just reminded me, hey, you know how overwhelmed you were when you were trying to do everything? And then the thing that brought you peace is you called your helper, your wife. And suddenly you were able to breathe a little bit. He said, hey, when it comes to Bible study, when it comes to challenging passages, you just need to call on your helper. You need to call on the Holy Spirit. And so as we come to this passage today, as we come to any passage in the Bible... We don't come just seeking knowledge and trying to understand everything and and chase a rabbit here and chase a rabbit there. The Holy Spirit is present with us 
in the study of God's word. And the Holy Spirit is present with us in this room as we hear the word of God. And so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth as he is our great helper. So anyone in here familiar with bumper sticker Christianity? Yeah, Um, I think I've got a picture, maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay, so remember these cars up there, top right? Um, with all of, you know, this, this fish won't fry, will you? Um, like all the, bu- you get the bumper sticker, you slap it on the back of your car and you drive however you want, but you know what? It's back there. And so if I cut somebody off, it's just so they can get to know Jesus. Um, this was something that, that's been big in culture and, and bumper sticker, um, politics, you know, we, we slap it back there so people can know. I grew up in a time of, uh, WWJD. Right? What would Jesus do? Bracelets. Um, and everyone, you know, what would Jesus do? And that shirt, I love that shirt, actually. Um, I love shirts that say, not today, Satan. They make me smile every time I see them. But, you know, we wear shirts. We put on the message that we want to say on our shirt. But the question is, uh, the question is, do we, do we live out that message? Do we live out the things that we're wearing? You know, WWJD bracelets... What would Jesus do? Guess what? We know what Jesus did. I don't have to imagine what Jesus would do in any situation. I shouldn't go into a situation and go, well, what would you? I know what Jesus did. And now I need to say, what's the Holy Spirit leading me to do? The real question that we should ask ourselves is, if I know Jesus and I know what he did because it's been recorded and I believe in him and I repent of my sin and I'm living in obedience to him, how can I live in a way that loves God and loves others for his name and his glory? But that's too much for a bracelet. So we can't, we, we can't put, right? That's a big one. It's a lot of letters. I tried to do it earlier and I was like, no, I got, I got lost. Listen, the main thing I want us to talk about today is that if you claim the name of Jesus, if I claim the name of Jesus, my life should be changed. And it, 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 there should be an impact on people around me. And that's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says a Christian looks like. And if you are here today and you claim his name and you say you are a believer, but your life isn't changed and you are not on a trajectory to become more like him and the impact you have on others is not loving and it lacks power, then you very well might be deceived today and not know Jesus. You may have a knowledge of him. But the Bible assumes that knowledge of Jesus is not all there is. The Bible would say that those who believed had a a change of life, that, that the belief caused action in their life to be changed. And you know what your faith is because your faith is seen in the response to whatever is Lord of your life. Your faith is seen in your response to whatever is Lord of your life. So if Jesus is Lord... That's what your faith is going to respond to. You're going to do things that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads you into doing. But if something else is the Lord of your life, if your family is the Lord of your life, then you will neglect things that God calls you to in the name of family. If your job is the Lord of your life, you will neglect things that God calls you to clearly in Scripture as well as by the Holy Spirit in the name of your job. If it's a substance, you will neglect things for the Lord because the substance is the Lord, is, is the thing that is determining the action that you take. If it's your pride, if it's your anger, if it's anything else, 
then you need Jesus today. And I need Jesus today. So we find Paul here in Ephesus. Ephesus is a large city. It's 250,000 people. Um, It's one of the third or fourth largest cities in the Roman Empire at this time. There's a temple there. It's called the Temple of Artemis or uh, became the Temple of Diana. One of the seven wonders of the world. And it's a principal city for magic in the ancient world. Um, It was known, like, if you were a a magician, a sorcerer, a charlatan, um, go to Ephesus because they're going to be hospitable to you. They're going to welcome you there. And magic is defined, when when I'm talking about magic, I'm talking about a process by which human beings become able to manipulate supernatural power for their own ends. And a poor reading of this text, where it would be for you to go, oh, but magic isn't real. So clearly this is just a story, but magic's not real, right? No, no, the Bible says magic's real. Supernatural is real. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, flesh and blood right? We, we wrestle against the supernatural. The supernatural is a real thing, that, and how do I know that? Because the Bible says it. And so even though I may be uncomfortable with that, the Bible says it. And so I have to go, okay, so there is a, a real supernatural world that, that Paul is getting ready to interact with, and that supernatural activity still exists today. Because let me tell you, if the supernatural is not real, the Holy Spirit's not real. Like if I'm going to get rid of the supernatural, then I can't, then the Bible has to be about my knowledge and my effort, and it has to be religious and not something that can empower me that I can't see. But Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit was a helper that was coming, something that I couldn't see that was going to guide me into all truth, that was going to lead me away from sin. Like, so I have to believe it. And so it's real. A poor application of this text that we're getting ready to read would be to assume that because in Acts 19, 11 through 20, there were prayer cloths and handkerchiefs that you need to make an infomercial that comes on at 3 a.m. and say, I'm going to send you this prayer cloth that I've prayed over and I'm going to go out and it's going to do marvelous things in your life. Because, a couple reasons. One, this is the only place in the Bible that this happens, okay? But two, it's not by my will and my power. It's by God's power and God's will. And it's really unique because we're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about healing, we're going to talk about deliverance. But God chooses to move in humanity by his will and by our faith together. Never just one or the other. So I never can demand anything of God. I can be led by his spirit and have the faith and belief that God will do it. And then God, as he wills, will do it. Or in some cases may say my grace is sufficient. For this moment of this person's life. Another poor application would be to read this text and go, see Harry Potter. Magic card tricks. It's all evil. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not on a soapbox. Okay. Like you're allowed to feel however you want about Harry Potter and all that. But what I'm saying is if you limit it to just a book or just something like, like this is real supernatural. So this, this whole city bowed down and worshiped. And believe that the things that would guide their life was an evil, supernatural spirit that was lording over them. All right, we're going to jump in, okay? Um, I, if I lost you on Harry Potter, you just pray for me. Because uh, the, the Holy Spirit for you is the Holy Spirit for me. So we'll ask God, right? We'll ask God. Lord, help him. All right, uh, let's read it. Acts nineteen eleven through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. 
Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that sounds like, like a, like seven itinerant Jewish exorcists walk into a bar. Uh, that the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who have practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12 and talk about faith in Jesus as healer. The Greek word here, it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles. And literally it's saying, and God was doing no ordinary powerful deeds. At the hands of Paul, who was the representative of Jesus in this town on mission, God was doing capital M miracles, no ordinary powerful uh, deeds. And these are not everyday occurrences. These are supernatural miracles. And even more so because Paul is in a place, he's in Ephesus, that glorifies the supernatural. The magic in Ephesus was an appeal and a surrender and an obedience to supernatural forces. And so what we're getting ready to read of how God decided to move is because in response to this culture that glorified and that bowed down at the altar of supernatural. And so God says, you want to see supernatural? I'm going to show you what power is. And unlike others who were in this town, Paul isn't coming and saying, hey, give me five bucks and and I'll pray for healing. Hey, hey, give me $20 and, and I'll make sure this demon's out of you. Paul is coming, offering this free. Because the gift of God is a free gift. Verse 12, so even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. These handkerchiefs or aprons were like a sweat rag. Like Paul would wrap a rag around his head and it would collect his sweat. Or he would have an apron that he would wipe his hands on. And those things, what? But again, we're in a town that people believed, one, they believed that power was conveyed through objects. Okay, so it was a belief of the culture that that was happening. Okay, so one, then God's man has rags. God's man who's on the ministry of God has a sweat rag, has a rag that he's wiping his hands on. And people are saying, can we get those? Because you have faith and we need to take this to other people so they know of the faith that you have. And then God is saying, amen, do it. And as they do it, why? Because it's an act of faith. The power of God is not in the rag. The power of God is not, the power of God is in the faith of God's man and the faith of those who are responding. And from that power of God, healings are happening. From the power of God, evil spirits are being cast out. See, God wanted to honor the culture and the context of this people to communicate deeper truths about who he is. God decided to move in this culture 
to show who he is. He wanted to interact with them in a way that would use their beliefs and their culture to draw himself to repentance, to draw themselves to repentance and true faith. And so he's interacting them in a world that embraces the supernatural. And he's saying, but I'm going to meet them where they are and I'm going to show them true power. I'm going to show them true grace. I'm going to show them something that's true and not false so that they have an opportunity to be drawn to the true God. Healing, uh, as I talked about earlier, it's always connected to faith and the will of God. And God's ultimate plan is not just to heal us, but God's ultimate plan is to make us whole. First Peter 2.24 says, by his wounds we are healed. By, by what wounds? By Jesus' wounds on the cross. By the fact that Jesus lived a life and died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And he was raised from the dead. And he lived in the newness of life. By that, you and I are healed. And we have a healing that lasts us into eternity. But that healing makes us whole in Jesus. But there's also physical healings that we read about. And there are many times where, uh, well, there's a story in Luke 17 of the ten lepers. And, and Jesus heals all ten of them. And only one comes back. And he says, didn't I heal ten of you? He said, but, but because you've come back. Because you're glorifying me, your faith has made you whole. So the the healing is always to lead us to a place of wholeness in the Lord. We ask and we desire for healing. And sometimes God heals and moves in our world in healing. But sometimes God, God doesn't. God waits. And we don't always understand that. Mark 6, 5 tells us that, that, that Jesus came into a town. He was going to heal um, a bunch of people. And he said that he could only heal a few of them. He couldn't do mighty works there because of their lack of faith. And even Paul prayed for healing and asked God for healing. and said, God, I need your healing power. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul reveals what God said to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So God desires to heal. God will heal us. And in Jesus and in eternity, we have a full healing unlike any other. But we ask for healing now. And we also ask for the will of God to be done. And we faithfully believe that he can do it. Jesus is our healer. He wants to interact with our culture today to bring healing. And to cast out evil spirits by showing that he is supreme. And he does this through faithful men and women who have submitted and surrendered to him in order to draw people to himself. I'm sure that there were people who went, oh man, Jesus is healing. I mean, we read about him in, in Jesus' day, but even Paul goes, oh, there's healing over here. Let me go after the healing. Let me go and get my problem taken care of. Let me go and get this issue taken care of. And I'm sure there are some of us today that come to church and go, oh, I need something from the church. I need a healing. I need a handout. I need social interaction. I need something. And I come and and there's nothing wrong with needing something. But that needing something is supposed to lead you to a savior. And if you're not finding Jesus at the end of your need, you are settling for a lesser Lord in your life. I want you to ask yourself this. It's an application question. Are you seeking after Jesus or after a blessing? Are you seeking after Jesus or after a blessing? There were two stories as I was worshiping this morning that that I was reminded of. One was Moses. 
And Moses came to this point in his life in the book of Exodus. And, and he says, Lord, show me your glory. And, and God says, no, you can't see my glory. My glory will, will you'll, you'll die if you see my glory. He says, okay, show it to me. Because seeing you glorified, seeing you glorified, I, I'd be willing to give my life for that. And so I thought of I thought of that story. I also thought of um, uh, Paul in his letters. He said, you know what? It's better for me to depart and be with Jesus. I long to depart. I long to die so I can be in the presence of Jesus. But it's better for other people, for ministry, that I continue on. Can you say one of those things? Lord, if my life is gone, but I have you. That's it. That's it. If everything is taken away, but I have Jesus. If I die today and I'm in the presence of the Lord, I'm not going, oh, I'm not looking forward to that. I'm saying, amen, yes. Why? Because I want Jesus. I want to sit in his presence. I want to be done with sin I want to be done with, with the things of this world. I want to be done. But being done is I don't want to give up and go home and just lay in my bed. I want to be done because I'm with Jesus. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Are we going after Jesus or the blessing today? We're going to keep going verses 13 through 16 and talk about faith in Jesus as a deliverer. I'm going to read the passage again. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. The evil spirits answered, uh, evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know Paul recognized, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So we read about this itinerant Jewish exorcist. Just a word on this. Um, there is no office of ministry of exorcist. Okay. So in case you would like anywhere that it's listed. Instead, the Bible actually gives all of us authority over evil spirits. And the Bible says the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Like the power is right here. If you are a believer in Jesus, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about those other powers. Why? Because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. So, but these guys are itinerant Jewish exorcists, um, and they come upon this man who has an evil spirit. And I, and I just want to mention here, because we try to, you know, I, I believe that our pastor leads us out on this. The, sometimes this text can poorly be applied and say, well, anyone that has um, mental health issues is dealing with evil spirit thing. And here's what I want to say to that, okay? There are challenges of mental health in our world today, and I believe that some of them are spiritual, and I believe some of them are not. But I believe the answer to both is prayer and help. I believe the answer to both, no matter what you're... So I believe it's prayer. I think there's a spiritual element. And I think there is a medical element that we need help. And we need to embrace both to get people to a healthier place. I just want to say that, okay? So... um and also, just make sure, when you read the Bible and you decide to label something as, well, well, every evil spirit's a mental health thing, if the Bible doesn't say that, you shouldn't either. Right? Like, say what the Bible says. Okay? And the Bible says, this guy, this is not a mental health issue. This guy's is an evil spirit issue. And so this guy has an evil spirit on him, in him. And the seven sons of Sceva are like, you know what? We just learned a new magic spell. Check this out. We're going to rock this one. All right, walking in, 
and all, and, and, and there's some, Sceva, we don't know if Sceva was a real high priest, there's no record of a Sceva, so they, they may even be illegitimate, they may be seven sons of Sceva, Sceva meant mind reader, we're the seven sons of the Jewish high priest mind reader, right, it's like the next Marvel movie, um, and so, uh, except, <laughs> they're not the heroes, um, so, uh, you've got the seven sons of Sceva, they're coming in, they may not actually be uh, any connection to a high priest, um, and they decide to use Jesus' name and Paul's name as like a spell. And I looked into this, and there, uh, there is evidence in history, these uh, magic scrolls that have been discovered from the ancient world that did this. They tried to write out every name of every religion, of everything that had power. And, and you'll find some from people who had no connection to Christianity. It's like, in the name of Abraham, in the name of Isaac, in the name of Jesus. And they would write out these long and say every single name in order to try to get their magic to work. So they say this is a spell. And then the demon begins speaking and says, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who you think you are, <laughs> right? I mean, one, the Bible tells us that, I mean, Jesus said even the demons believe. The demons believe. They know Jesus, and they know the ones that belong to Jesus. But when you start stepping up in, a, in an area that, that you're not ready for, that you don't know Jesus, you're going to get beat, <laughs> okay? Because that's what happens. They got beat up. And they ran away naked, because I'm from West Virginia, all right? So they were naked, running out of there, and ashamed. And listen, and I've been making this funny, because it is a little funny, right? It's a funny thing to read about. But I will say this, too. Like, one thing that, that I was struck by just this morning when you were leading us in prayer, Pastor, was um, the, the words of the missionary saying, hey, I'm praying that when... I'm praying when they, when, when we encounter people that are using Jesus' name, do we find ourselves quick to make fun and laugh at the way that they're mocking Jesus or the way they're being ashamed? And before you answer that, I just want to say one name, Joel Osteen. If you believe that Joel Osteen doesn't represent Jesus well in all of his sermons, are you quick to go, well, let me point out all the ways. Let me point, are you quick to pray and say, Lord, if your truth is real, reveal it to Joel Osteen how you believe it should be. Because I've heard a lot of conservative Christian people make enemies of other people who are proclaiming the gospel because of certain elements they think are wrong or don't agree with. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm not saying we should point out when, when there's clear error in Scripture. But we also should be quick to pray. And say, God, move. Because if your truth is real, your truth is real. I want more people proclaiming that truth. Here's what I know. If you and I choose to use Jesus' name for our personal benefit and our personal glory, we will be left beat up and ashamed. Are some of us in a place that we aren't trusting Jesus as our Savior, but we're using his name for our personal gain? And what does that look like? Well, it looks like going to church. And then doing whatever I want when I leave the church. It looks like reading my Bible to check a list and then still doing whatever I want because I'm the Lord. I'm the Savior of my life. It, it looks like that I may write it on my emails. I may put it on my business card. I may get the bumper sticker and wear the WWJD bracelet. But I live however I want and I only use it when it benefits me and makes me look good. 
And so I may use it when I'm talking about politics and I may say, well, because I went to church my whole life, I vote this way. Or I may use it because I, I when it benefits me, it makes me look good. And I say, well, you know, I'll pray for you, but I'm not really going to help you. Or, you know, you need to get your life right, but I'm not willing to step into your life with you. Right. I'll use Jesus because it makes me feel good and it isolates me in this self-righteousness that does no good for the people who are going through life. Have you been set free? And does the trajectory of your life, the rebirth of your soul, look like what the Bible describes a Christian to be? Is there freedom in your life? Jesus is the deliverer. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm on that. And Galatians 5.13 says don't let it become, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, don't use that as an opportunity for your flesh. Don't use your opportunity of freedom to do whatever you want. And don't return to a yoke of slavery. Are you using Jesus for your gain this morning? Do you find that in your life you have no faith, no fruit, and no power over sin? Because let me tell you, if you have no faith, if you have a hard time believing and you have no fruit in your life, and when I'm saying fruit, I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you. I'm talking about the fruit of ministry happening around you. I'm talking about conversations about Jesus that keep happening. I'm talking about God's putting you in places that he's using you. And if you have no power over sin, that you keep bowing down at the altar of the same sins and you isolate yourself in them, then you have no assurance of salvation. And we got to stop making Christian Christianity is something easy. We got to stop making come to church and, and it's going to no, no, no. It's not easy. It's worth it. And it's grace empowered and it's Holy Spirit driven. But it ain't easy. And we follow Jesus. I believe some of us in this room have scars right now because we have been deceived to thinking that we're following Jesus. And we've gotten in situations that have beat us up. And so then we think faith is something. Man, faith is hard because I get beat up by everyone. But my thing is, well, go back. Do you know Jesus? Or were you entering into ministry? Were you entering into situations and you weren't saved? Jesus wasn't the Lord of your life. And so you were acting in a sinful way. And they're responding to that sinfulness. And now it's all confusing when really we just need to go, you know what? I want to know Jesus. How the Bible says a believer looks like. So what, what does that look like? Let's look at the next part. Faith in Jesus as Lord. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So what's happening? Well, now Paul's coming around and just the rags of sweat are sending demons out and causing people to be healed. Seven, which is the number of perfection in, in Jewish culture, seven um, Jewish priests come in and they get whooped and Paul's sweat rag is casting out the evil spirits like that. So everyone's going, whoa, what are we following here? Right? And they're like, that, what, what Paul's doing, that's what we want to, cause we are a town that embraces whatever magic is popular. We embrace, okay, now we're all gonna say, oh, praise God. But can I just say, we live in a culture like that too? We live in a culture that when tragedy strikes, everybody's loving and praying. 
Right. We live in a culture that that in certain times and certain moments of our history, we can all say praise God or we we go to the grocery store and everybody's everybody will pray for you. Everybody says, oh, yeah, God's good all the time, all the time. God is good. And yet we live in a culture that is not evangelistic. We live in a culture that lacks the power of God. We live in a culture that embraces sin, even inside the church. And we say, hey, you just need to come and listen and think better. And then maybe this life is going to end up right. And when you look at other cultures, when you look at third world countries and you look at how the Lord moves and when he moves according to his word and you look at your life and you go, God, why aren't you moving according to your word in my life? You're like you're moving over there. It can't be well. God doesn't move that way here. Okay, it's got to be there's something in me that is Lord that isn't Jesus. People saw the power. And they start acknowledging what Jesus is great. And they start using his name, but it's, it's exactly what the seven sons of Sceva were doing. There was no salvation in that. There's no salvation in you just saying God is great, because God is great, and God is good, and we thank him for our food. So, like, God is, he's good, he's great, he's wonderful, and doesn't save you. Okay? The acknowledgement of greatness isn't salvation. Verse 18 shows us where, where salvation is. It says, many who were believers confessed and divulged their practices. Don't miss this. They confess and they expose their sinfulness. What kind of practices? Well, um, Ephesus was a town where the temple of Diana was. And they were praised and they would, they would lift up the supernatural. They would lift up objects that they believe had evil spirits in them. Um, there was temple prostitution that existed. Okay, there, It was a very worldly place. And it says these believers confess and divulge their practices. Confess, they acknowledge openly and divulge. They announce them. If we claim the name of Jesus... The Bible shows that he changes our lives and, and that he impacts the lives of those around us. In order to claim that name, we must confess our sin to God and repent. And the believers at Ephesus show us that confession is not just, let me pray about it and put it in my journal. But confession is an act that exposes sin in my life for what it is. Why? Because I want to be done with it. I want to be done If Jesus is Lord, we should confess our wicked and sinful ways. We should expose the sin in our lives. And that should be a regular pattern in our lives. What does that look like? Well, one, it's confessing to our pastor or who's discipling us, the leadership in our life. It's confessing to them. It's gaining wisdom on, you know, sometimes it's not wise to confess everything to everybody. Right? Like you don't have to go out because then you just start bowing down at the confession becomes the Lord of your life because I just want to feel better. So let me just tell you so I can get it off my chest. Well, that's not it. Okay? It's, I'm going to confess to my, my pastor. I'm going to confess to those brothers who I walk. I mean, we do D groups, um, in our church. And one of the reasons is so that we can confess our sin to each other and confess our struggle and say, this is really what I'm going through in a, in a, in a group of people who can hold us accountable. In 2012, I was, uh, some of you know this, some of you don't, I was, I was the youth and college pastor at, at Living Hope uh, from 2010 to 2012. And I was in secret sin, isolated sin. I was. And I was, I was trying to do ministry, and I would embrace sin. And then one day... Um, in June of 2012, we were having a, a planning meeting. And the Holy Spirit said, you got to 
you got to confess this or like what's coming. And so I confessed it to the pastors. I said, here's what's going on in my life. And um, I don't want, you know, I don't care if you know or not. If you want to know more, I'd love to talk to you one-on-one. I'm not going to divulge everything, you know, from the stage. But some of you know, some of you don't, and that's fine, right? And if you just want to know for gossip, repent. So, uh, but, <laughs> so, but what I'll tell you is, I can, but not just that, the Lord, then I, I wrote a letter. And, and I don't know how much wisdom maybe was done in the whole process, but I know this. When my sin was exposed... And it was exposed to a lot of people, some of who are still in this room. When my sin was exposed, the next morning I breathed like I had never breathed before in my life. There was a freedom like I had never known before in my life. Why? Because I wasn't secretly doing anything anymore. I wasn't isolated and alone. I was not. And guess what? I finally started seeing some victory. Guess what else? I was able to get in counseling. I was able to get help because I had some trauma from my childhood. I had some hurts and things that happened to me that I had never been able to talk about. And I was able to talk about them. And I was able to gain healing. Why? Because I wanted to expose the devil for everything he is. I don't want to hold on to what the devil has done in my life. I don't want to hold on to what sin has done in my life. I want to embrace what Jesus has made a way for in my life. That's all of us. And if you're not doing that, if you're holding on to that secret sin, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're doing business practices illegally. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe you're cheating on your spouse. Maybe you're, you're looking at things on the computer that you know you shouldn't. Maybe it's, you're just lying. You just lie all the time. Maybe you cuss unending that no one would know by the words that you use that you know Jesus. I don't know what it is. I don't know that area that you keep isolated from the believers in your life. But I know this. If you stay in isolation, the devil is looking for whom he may devour. And he doesn't go after the people in groups. He goes after the ones in isolation. You need to confess today. And you need to expose And that's what these people did. And then the next verse, you know what it says? It says, then some of them brought books and started burning these books. That was 50,000 pieces of silver worth of of books. That was a thousand or one piece of silver was like a day's wage. So 50,000 workers day's wage were burned that day. But can I just tell you that burning the books didn't save them? There's no salvation in sacrificing things out of your life. The the salvation is found in the confession and the divulging of our sin, in believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and in confessing that sin. That's where salvation is found. And then God may lead you to a place of obedience where he says, but now you've got to cut stuff out of your life. He will, not not maybe. You will have to cut stuff out of your life. There will be things that God says, hey, you've got to cut that out. You can't do that anymore. You want to follow me? That's gone. Some of them are clear in the Bible. Some of them may not be as clear. Maybe something that's a conviction for you that you need to cut out that maybe other people don't. But God says, you got to cut it out. And he says, and by the way, it's going to cost you something. It cost me my job. I lost my job that day. I quit. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. But I was free. In the Lord, and that's not the glory for me. That's I was scared to death. That's the Lord's provision in all of it. May cost your job. May cost your relationship. You've been cheating, sleeping around. May cost you. But what you gain, what you gain, 
far outweighs anything that it costs. What you gain in Jesus. Why? Because you gain eternity. You gain wholeness. I was a guy. I wasn't whole. I wasn't whole. Because I thought wholeness could be found in something, in going to something. I thought wholeness could be found in this sin area of my life. Why? And sin is like screaming at you. Don't confess it. Don't let it go. Don't let this thing, let it keep saying, you're not, you don't know who you're going to be without this. And it keeps telling you, it's okay. Just keep praying about it. Just keep trying harder. Just keep doing all of this. But let me tell you, until you confess it and you say, here is my sin, you won't be whole. That's who the believers were here. And that's what it looks like when Jesus is Lord of your life. But here's what I believe. I think some of us would rather burn a book than confess our sin. Some of us would say, where do I just burn the book? Where do I just do the religious habit? Where do I just do the thing? Tell me what to do. Give me the ten steps. It's like, well, you can do everything you want. But until you are confessing your sin and divulging your sinfulness, you're going to live in a way that, that isn't whole and Jesus isn't Lord of your life. Matthew twelve seven says God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Today, don't just plan to do better. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Confess your sin. Confess it as sin. And if people, if you confess it to them and they make you feel better or okay about your sin, get away from those people. And you go to people that you can confess to that tells you that is horrible. But God loves you. But you get with people that hold your feet to the fire and to the fire of the Holy Spirit. And not who say, I'm going to embrace you no matter what. No, no, no. God embraces you because of Jesus. Not no matter what, because of Jesus. And so I'm embracing you through the Jesus and the Holy Spirit that's embracing you. And we're going to figure out how to have power over this. And how to get healing and wholeness. Jesus should be the Lord of our lives. Is he? I'm going to wrap up here and I want to talk about, uh, just for a minute, the man with the evil spirit. Look back at that man. The guys show up. They try to deliver him, right? They're, they're praying for deliverance, and, and, uh, but they're not, uh, they're not believers. And they're just using Jesus' name. And he beats them up and they run away. That man never gets delivered. Man still has an evil spirit. Because the people who were trying to use Jesus' name lack the power and the faith and the presence of God in them. And so all they were doing was offering words and there was no change happening in the people around them. You want to know why you need to confess and make Jesus Lord of your life? Yes, it's for you. You gain eternity. That's beautiful. But it's because God's plan and mission isn't just for you. It's for the world. And God chose to use you and me to impact this world. And so as long as you want to hold on to your sin, as long as you want to hold on in isolation to it, and listen, just because you expose it, you're not going to have victory every day. You're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. But it doesn't have the power over you that it is guiding your life anymore when you bring it to light. This section starts with and God was doing extraordinary miracles by Paul. And it ends with the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God does extraordinary miracles today through you and I. 
God impacts culture today through you and I. And his word continues to increase and prevail mightily through those of us that confess him as Lord and Savior, that surrender and live in obedience to him in our lives. I think some of us just get busy doing the wrong stuff and we feel so tired and so we can't always make it to church or we can't always make it to this thing on the counter. We can't always do this ministry event. Yes, people need ministry, but I need my break. I need to watch my show. I need to do this. Let me just tell you this. We have this life. To be a part of the word of the Lord prevailing mightily. So let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's confess our sin. Why? So that we can do what God is already doing. We can join him. And we can see the miracles and work that he wants to do in this world. Let's stop playing with our sin. Let's expose it. Proclaim Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And take with us him as we minister And take part on how he is increasing and prevailing mightily. As we pray today, I'm going to invite the worship team up. It's going to be a time if you'd like to come for prayer. Uh, Pastor Allen, I'm sure, will be down here. I'll be down here. And let me tell you, if you know other people that need to pray for you, that you need to confess with, go to them. Let's do, let's, we can, we can worship in here as long, this can be a, a sanctuary of confession today. This can be a place where Jesus is praised from the confession of our lips and the lives that are going to be changed. And you grab people and you can bring them down here to pray. You can pray in your seat. But, but we got to stop playing. we got to stop playing. Let's pray. Lord, we just... Uh, oh, we thank you for who you are. You are a good God. You're a loving God. And your grace changes everything in our lives. Lord, we ask that as we consider exposing our sin today exposing areas that are hidden, exposing areas that may cost us something, Lord. And even now, as our flesh and our sin is screaming out against us, Lord, let us hear your still small voice. Let us hear your spirit draw men unto you. And let our lives look like those who follow the Lord. God, we ask that you move in this place. In Jesus' name. Stand with us as we sing. Those of you that need to pray, we're here.
today that whatever reason we have for not letting you be Lord, whatever deception is in our life will be revealed this week. And God, there are some in here who are going to have to walk through some hard times, but they're going to walk through some healing and they're still going to find you in it.
And there's some here that, that are going to realize this week they need to confess. And so they need to, God. Whenever you, you lead them by the Spirit, they need to confess. They need to confess to faithful people. Or who will hold them accountable. But God, I look forward to your word prevailing mightily in Bryan College Station. I look forward to what happens in this church, Lord, going from here to other cities, to other states, to other nations, and that we get to be part of what you are doing. Thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me share something real quick. About three or four weeks ago, we had the cross out. And a part of the message was talking about how we need to crucify our sins to the cross and how it's by the Holy Spirit that those sins are, are crucified. Uh, Jacob's done a great job of preaching a similar message today. And as I reflect, uh, if you were here that day, and if you came up and you nailed your sin to the cross, what we said was there was nothing magical about that. But that was an indication that you were saying to the Holy Spirit, I want this sin crucified in my life. And the question that I would ask you, is did you just nail it to this cross and then walk away and act like that was some kind of magic thing? Or did you realize, oh, I nailed it to the cross and now I need to divulge that sin and need to confess that to the appropriate places, to the appropriate people that would come alongside of me and walk with me. And so what I'm asking is, have you done anything with that or was that just kind of going through the motions and kind of recommitting your life to Jesus and yet you didn't really follow through because you were holding on to it still? And so based on what you've heard this morning, let us go out and live a life that would live a life of confession and repentance in a way that the Holy Spirit can then work in our lives and that his name would be glorified throughout the earth. So this morning as we leave, if you need to sit and chat with me or Jacob or one of our other pastors or one of our elders, feel free to do that. Don't leave this place without God doing the work in your life that he's calling you to do. Um, and then I want to make one other announcement. And that is as soon as we dismiss, there is a parent meeting for parents of preschool, children, and youth. And so we ask you to go get your kids and then come on back in here. The meeting will be starting very shortly. And it will be a short meeting. And if you've got kids those ages, please stay for that meeting. All right? Um, as we leave from this place, take an opportunity to greet those around you, get to know somebody. If you do need to have a spiritual conversation with someone, please do that. And then don't forget that meeting will be happening briefly. All right, you're dismissed.